millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? You are listening to The Big Cruise Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host. First of all, I want to thank you for listening, liking and subscribing. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to do the podcast for you each and every week and by sharing it with those people that you think might want to do so, we, we continue to go from strength to strength. So thank you um, once again. This week's show is a little bit shorter, I'll be honest. Um, we're recording this a day early on Thursday the uh, 24th. Um, only because I've got my second COVID jab tomorrow and I just wanted to make sure the podcast was done and dusted in case I did feel a little under the weather. Um, so in just a moment, we're going to be joined by Chris, who will be bringing the answer to a listener question, um, which also forms a little bit of maritime history and uh, a great roundup of the latest cruise news for the week. So without further ado, let's head straight over and invite Chris to join us in the studio. Enjoy the show. the first part of the podcast we always have our good friend maritime historian and all things cruise news chris frame hey chris welcome to the show thanks so much baz no problem now we are recording one day early this week uh, but that's all good we've got lots of news to get through but before we do that you had a listener question on your social media pages this week all about um the uh, the cunard trio versus the olympic uh, class vessels and uh, we thought we'd, we'd weave that into this week's podcast if that's okay yes yeah, so we've got a, a query as to the main differences, I suppose, between two of the most famous uh, transatlantic shipping lines in the world, 
mm-hmm. uh, particularly if historically there was the White Star Line, of course, with its Olympic class, mm-hmm. and then Cunard, which had uh, three ships, two of which were um, you know, visually pretty similar, um, and one that was a little bit different that used to sort of do that transatlantic run between Great Britain and and the United States. Mm-hmm. So the Olympic class, actually, I'll start with Cunard because their ships came first. So. Um, Cunard had um, built two ships in, and put them into service in 1907. That was the Lusitania mm-hmm. uh, and the Mauritania. And Lusitania was built at the John Brown shipyard in Clydebank, whilst Mauritania was built at Swan Hunter and Wigham Richardson upon Tyne in Newcastle. And the two ships had a general uh, layout that was very similar, mm-hmm. but because they were built at different shipyard, shipyards, they weren't. They weren't twins, um, okay. so they, there were some differences in their in their in their scale, um, in their size. Uh, Lusitania was slightly smaller than Mauritania, um, and in their fit out. But they were built really um, for two purposes. One was to recapture British dominance on the North Atlantic. So by mm-hmm. this stage, um, the German liners were the fastest. Cunard had been eclipsed by White Star Line in terms of luxu- luxurious interiors. So they they were the, they were fast and large and luxurious and and even in sort of second and third class the accommodations were like noticeably better than what had been seen on previous previous lines. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Lusitania came into service first. She captured the speed record, and Mauritania then entered service um, a few months later. And in 1909, she actually eclipsed Lusitania's speed. And became sort of known as the fastest ship in the world all the way through to the 19, 1929, actually. Mm. Um, then White Star Line, so they'd been eclipsed by Cunard in terms of luxury, and luxury was really their their bread and butter. They'd actually stepped out of the race for speed on the Atlantic and were going more for the most sort of pleasant and luxurious fixtures and fittings and amenities that you could imagine. Yes, exactly. They went for the experience, but it's a bit like, you know, how cruise lines now differentiate based on whether they're mm-hmm. a luxury brand or a, yeah. So White Star Line was doing that. And, you know, it was said on some of the White Star Line ships that third class was as comparable to second class on lesser liners, that kind of thing. Right. Okay. So they weren't too pleased, as you can imagine, by being, um, by having Cunard with not just the largest ships, but the fastest and also the most luxurious. So they worked with Holland and Wolf Shipyard in Belfast to design the Olympic class. Now, the Olympic class was named after the first ship in the in the class, the Olympic, mm-hmm. um, and her sister ship was Titanic, um, and then a third one, which was to be named Gigantic, oh. because they were actually naming them all after Greek mythology. Yeah. Um, the you know the the, uh, the the sort of naming convention of these very large ships, and it was make, to make them stand out a little bit amongst the rest of the fleet. Um, but when Titanic sank, of course, they, they, they hadn't built Gigantic yet and they decided to, to rename it um, Britannic. So you have mm. Olympic, Titanic, and Britannic. Yep. They were larger than the Cunardas. Um, they were over 800 feet um, long um, and more luxurious in terms of their, their fixtures and fittings. They had, you know, they were bigger ships, so they had more space. Um, probably also even better second and third class accommodations. But they weren't as fast, and White Star just wasn't interested in that in yeah. that chunk of the market. So there's all this talk about Titanic trying to break records on her maiden voyage um, to capture speed records and stuff. That, then that was never the intention um, mm-hmm. to, to make her the fastest. She she didn't have the speed in her to, to eclipse Mauritania anyway. So um, uh, so there was that. So 
you now have um, Cunard with its fast duo. You have White Star Line with its um, two ships that came into service. And then, of course, the Titanic was lost and then they were planning um, Britannic. Mm-hmm. And Cunard needed a third ship to operate a weekly departure. So with two ships, they still couldn't manage this. So they needed a third one to have that three-ship weekly service. Yep. Um, and so they actually built the Aquitania, which is completely different in terms of her scale and size and dimensions to Lusitania Mauritania. In fact, she was bigger than Olympic and Titanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, from a silhouette on a dis- in a distance, she looked kind of similar to her sister ships because she had the, th- the four big funnels and a second-class deck at the back of the ship was sort of separated from the rest of the ship. So it had a very similar silhouette, but when you got up closer, she was much bigger, much grander, much longer, um, over 900 feet in length. Um, and she actually wasn't as fast as Lusitania Mauritania. She was a very fast ship. She was faster than the Olympic class, but she wasn't as fast as, the, as her fleet mates. But they made her ultra-luxurious to, again, get that luxury market back from White Star so Aquitania's interior was just unbelievably um, elegant and she was nicknamed by her crew uh, the ship beautiful because she was so beautiful, oh. I suppose, interior-wise <laughs> and had such a lovely profile as well. And that little nickname actually stuck with her um, and she survived World War One, World War Two, and ended up being retired in 1950. So oh, wow. she had a very long career. Longest la- uh, large express liner in service until QE2 eclipsed her in 2008. So, mm. um, uh, so that's that's the that's the two classes, I suppose. I mean, Cunards weren't really a class of ships because each one was was slightly different, but yeah. um, they were really kind of designed to go head to head with each other. Um, and sadly, Cunard lost Lusitania during World War One. Uh, she was torpedoed off the coast of Ireland. And White Star lost Britannic during World War One when it um, hit a mine off the coast of Greece. Mm-hmm. So after the war, you only had Mauritania, Aquitania, and Olympic from those originals. Um, White Star got um, the Majestic, former Bismarck, and uh, the Homeric, which was the former Columbus from the German mm-hmm. liners as war operations. And Cunard got the Emperator, which they renamed Berengaria. So at the end of in the 1920s, they, each, each company had three ships to do that express service. But from the original designs, um, that was what those differences were between them. Brilliant. I'm sure that will answer Jeff's question. And thank you to Jeff in Vancouver for sending it through. Um, always love these questions that come through. Uh, we never know what's next on the, uh, mm. the listener question agenda. So if you have got a question yourself, send them through to myself and Chris. Uh, you can do them via Chris's social pages or, of course, via the Big Cruise Podcast. The, the website is thebigcruisepodcast.com. It's actually a question I get when I do the live talks as well. I've been doing some doing some talks uh, recently. And um, funnily enough, this very week I got a very similar question. So it's definitely something people wonder about why these yeah. big ships and how they were different and what the, the speed and all that sort of stuff was. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating era when you think back to um, how much impact big ships used to have on the oh, way yeah. that people traveled, you know. Exactly. Very different from today. <laughs> now, obviously, you were promoted as uh, talking about maritime history at that event, but was there any questions from the general public about modern-day cruising and where we're at right now at all? Yeah, lots of people are just basically wondering, like, What's where happening? the ships went, um, what's happening, uh, is it ever going to come back, um, what will happen with the Delta variant, <laughs> all <laughs> sorts of, you know, there's so many, so much uncertainty still, even mm-hmm. with all the good news we, we have to share. Um, and I think 
obviously because we're in Australia, we're we're very sort of isolated from that restart. Um, but you know, it's interesting because I, I did a um, recently did a, a video about how cruising is different now. I, I spoke to Emma and we, yeah. we sort of collaborated on the video, which which went up um, this week. Um, about the differences and how you know what's like to embark for embarkation, what it's like for meals, what's like for shows, that sort of thing on board, cleanliness and all that. And some people in the comments, obviously, um, talking about their cruises, and then other people who are like, "I'm in Australia or I'm in New Zealand, and we can't cruise, and why won't the government let us cruise?" Yeah. And then other people from other countries, interestingly enough, Americans and and British, saying, "Look, maybe to some of these comments, you know, don't be so harsh on the Australian approach because you've had such a good." Um, response with COVID, so yeah. it is a balancing act, Baz. It's really it's a very difficult thing to to navigate at the moment. Yeah. I think, um, and a lot of people are feeling that there's frustration even in the live talks when you speak to people about cruise holidays that they've lost, mixed with relief. I suppose that in certain parts of the world, it is still safe to go to cafes and restaurants and that sort of thing. So, yeah. um, it's just the same questions and conversations you're having everywhere around the world it's just focuses on cruising and, and that's kind of the feedback i get yeah yeah and in cruise news this week, we've got a heap of new positive new stuff that's happening um around the world with uh, not just with restarts but with new ships and uh new planning for for new deployments and things so hmm. um you know we will come back eventually <laughs> of course we just have to ride it out a little bit longer. It'll so let's be, start off with the... interesting. It'll be an interesting book one day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're taking notes as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> now let's start off with the latest uh, cruise news from... Uh, actually came in from the island of Grand Bahama, which is one mm. of the uh, Caribbean islands, or one of the Bahamian islands, should I say. Um, they uh, were talking all about the arrival of the latest Royal Caribbean ship. Yes, well, I mean, Adventure of the Sea, she's a, she's, she's a, f- a favourite amongst uh, Royal Caribbean travellers. Back in the, um, in the market now, she's, she's homeporting um, at Grand Bahama um, and has undertaken her first uh, voyage with 1,000 passengers on board. So quite a lot of the ships now are starting off, of course, with um, reduced capacity. Um, that was going to be scaled up in some markets, but some areas they're not allowing that to happen. So a thousand is kind of like a good mm-hmm. benchmark to think about yeah. how full these ships are. Um, so that's their first um, <clears throat> voyage in 16 months. Um, and of course, you can imagine seeing a ship coming in for, for the first time in such a long time. There was quite a lot of you know excitement on the on the pier, and yeah. um, she'll be offering seven night trips um, from Nassau um, from June the 12th. And then there's some back-to-back um, voyages if you want to sort of double up and spend some time at to the private island, uh, Coco yeah. Key. Uh, you can also take in Cozumel, um, which is uh, another uh, very popular island, a Mexican island, and then go back um, into those lovely you know, beaches and the sunny uh, atmosphere of, of Grand Bahama. Yeah, of course, Adventure Departing every Saturday, um, certainly initially. And uh, we've got uh, other good news also uh, coming out as uh, Atlas Ocean Voyages, which is a relatively newish brand. They uh, mostly North American focused or facing at the moment, but uh, they've actually come out with some good news for solo travelers for their new ship. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're the same, Baz, when you, when you speak to people on board ships, particularly those who are traveling by themselves. One of the biggest gripes that I hear is about the single supplement, so having mm-hmm. to pay extra if you're traveling by yourself as opposed to the, to the twin share per person price. Um, so Atlas Ocean Voyages has actually created some solo suites. Mm. Um, so uh, their ship World Navigator should be um, undertaking voyages from March of next year. 
um, and they're saying that it will be a suite level um, accommodation, but not asking for that single supplement. So with that, you're seeing 17 square meter uh, suite, which I think for our non-metric friends is about 180 square yeah, yeah. feet. Um, and there'll be four categories of accommodation within the suite um, uh, ranking, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's plenty of choice there, which is nice. And, you know, you're, um, you're looking at uh, even though you're in a single um, or a solo suite, you'll be looking at having a nice big queen-size bed so you can stretch out. <laughs> mm. uh, and all the latest mod cons, so it's things like USB, power outlets, 42-inch flat panel TVs, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, everything um, you expect of a, and the large a mod hotel room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's yeah. beautiful. And uh, we've got all those details in the show notes as well. Um, we do have some brief um, sad news down here in Australia as we hear other cruise lines cancelling the upcoming Australian season. Yes. The latest one being, of course, Holland America Line. Yes, yep. So, um, Oosterdam's Australian uh, departures uh, have been cancelled through to the um, through to December, um, and there'll also be um, South American departures on Westerdam, which have been cancelled through to the uh, also to December, uh, and Nordam's Asian voyages uh, again through to December. So, I mean, this is this is something that we're going to see now um, for yep. the rest of this year and probably into next year because some markets. Are so you know so difficult to reposition a ship at the mm-hmm. moment with all of the different restrictions in place. So yeah, we might have to have a second podcast, Baz, <laughs> as, the, <laughs> as the itineraries change. Who knows? Not just I mean, with Howell, some... but just I mean, I mean globally across all of the cruise lines. Yeah, um, repositioning ships in, in in the era of COVID and getting into different markets is, is a massive challenge, um, which is why I think we're seeing such a lot of focus on markets like Britain and the Bahamas where the ships have been laid up. So it's relatively easy to, yeah, to reactivate them in those yeah. markets. Yeah. I guess uh, the thing for some brands down here in Australia is even though they're sailing in Australian waters, they don't always have a massive contingent of Australian travelers on them. Some mm. of them rely more heavily on international guests oh, to fly yes. into Australia. Yeah. Holland America being one of those. So uh, for those, those types of brands, then uh, it may, does make it a little bit difficult when those international travelers can't physically come yeah. into Australia. I mean, to, I, I, I would, ship. I would, I would say that if, one of these those brands had a ship dedicated here. It would fill with Australians oh, in, course, in this yeah. climate, of course. But um, it's it's firstly getting it here. Yeah. Um, you know when you have to go through various ports where there are restrictions, and then secondly, the Australian obviously Australia New Zealand the borders closed. There's lots of other markets around the world where the borders are still closed. Um, you know certain Asian ports the borders are, are restricted. So getting it here and then not knowing if the market's going to open you can understand why they're um <laughs> they're they're pulling these these itineraries yeah let's go back to something a little bit more positive um our friends at celebrity had a big celebration in the port of athens just this last week as uh, celebrity apex debuted yeah and uh, you know greece is a is a great place for them to be doing this because um celebrities heritage mm. uh, dates back to chandras which is actually their logo was the big X, which is why the celebrity cruise ships have an X. And I've talked about this before, but some people yep. just don't realize and it's like all this history that's always weaved into everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a Greek company. So for them to – they're now owned by uh, Royal Caribbean, but uh, for them to to, to uh, bring their biggest ship into the Greek market is, is quite something. Um, so Apex, um, she's gone through the port of, uh, port of Athens, uh, which I imagine would be Piraeus. Yeah, um, I think it is, yeah. yeah. For, for Athens. Um, and we'll be doing her summer season in the Aegean. Um, so that's um, very exciting. And again, like she's the second in that um, edge class 
um, and Celebrity Edges, you know, before the pause was already creating quite a stir with some of her innovations. And so Apex will be doing the same. Yeah, now uh, Apex is going to be sailing around the Greek Isles for certainly this northern summer going out to uh, the, the Greek Isles themselves and some beautiful places such as Rhodes, uh, Crete, Santorini, Mykonos, etc. They're also taking with... it in Cyprus, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So some good, beautiful spots there. Um, let's uh, head over to the UK now because uh, PO UK Cruise is different from PO Australia, of course, has announced an expanded deployment uh, for the remainder of 2021. What's happening, Chris? Yeah, so quite a, quite a lot of um, a change around uh, the various ships. So um, as we've spoken about in the past, P&O UK will be recommencing sailings uh, this month, later this month, um, with um, Britannia and Iona. Mm. Um, that's the UK-only, uh, UK-based round Britain stuff. Um, but then Britannia will then um, undertake a Western Mediterranean uh, season in September. Uh, followed by a reposition to the Caribbean for the northern winter season. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of ships in the Caribbean, actually. She'll be with <laughs> some of her Carnival UK friends over there because I know Queen Mary 2 is also going to be spending some time in the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, Iona, on the other hand, will be doing Atlantic Coast uh, um, holidays after her uh, inaugural season is complete. Then we look at um, Ventura. Um, which is going to be also doing Atlantic Islands, but she'll be departing from October. And Azura will be going to join Britannia in the Caribbean and offer fly cruise trips, but she'll be doing that only starting in December. Now, the other ones in the fleet um, on on sadder news, uh, both Arcadia and Aurora were planned to do global voyages. Um, Those, as you can imagine, have been been cancelled. So Aurora will be expected to recommence sailings in April of 2022 and um, Arcadia just a few weeks earlier in March. Now, that is like like with other ships like Queen Victoria where that's the sort of planned return date. That's two years of layup. So yeah. lots of people who are very fond of those sort of, I mean, it's ridiculous to say smaller ships, but you're talking about sort of 75 to 90,000 tons. But yeah, yeah. Um, fans of those will, will be so so excited to get back on board sort of in uh, in April next year to, to be back on those ships after such a long pause. Yeah, there was a great video on um, social media this week with uh, John Held, who's the uh, Carnival Cruise Ambassador, uh, meeting up with uh, Captain Wesley Dunlop on board Iona and having a, a tour of the ship uh, down mm. in Southampton. Um, so if people haven't seen that, uh, have a look for it on social media pages. It's a great uh, little insight into that beautiful new ship. Yeah, and Wesley's a great, great captain. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. wonderful to travel with him. <laughs> I've got a great picture of him with uh, my kids who demanded that he go and pay a visit to them in kids club. <laughs> ah, well, I, I, I just, um, I met him on the Aurora and, um, and the next minute we're, we're taking selfies and it was just, you know, he's just such a, <laughs> such a friendly, accessible, down to earth kind of captain. And he started off with, um, with Saga. So yeah. he's known by like people, not just in P&O, but throughout the UK sort of cruise market because of that sort of friendly approach that he has. Yeah, no, he's great. And speaking of Saga... Yeah, that's a good segue there. Speaking of Saga there, we've got uh, some great news out of their office where's they, sorry, as they announced the newest godmother um, of the latest ship, Spirit of Adventure. Yes, so they've got um, Commodore Inga Kennedy, who has a lot of credentials after her name. <laughs> um, she's a senior um, Royal Naval Officer and the head of the Royal Navy's Medical Service. Um, she's now going to be... Um, the godmother of Spirit of Adventure, and will be naming the ship um, alongside in Portsmouth on the 19th of July. Um, so that will be their second um, 
the second ship in this class, of course, Spirit of Discovery, which was named by um, the Duchess of Cornwall. Uh, she has already been in service, has been doing the cruise pause, and then now will be joined by uh, Spirit of Adventure. Yeah, they're actually doing this. And I read uh, on the 19th of July, which is uh, supposedly going to be uh, UK Freedom Day as they emerge from uh, COVID restrictions, if all things go oh, well. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, and well, they, one of the reasons for choosing her was to uh, acknowledge all of the hard work of the frontline personnel yes. um, around the world that have you know had to deal with COVID. So it's, uh, I mean, cruise lines have done a lot of thanking the... Even in the yeah. UK, I've seen plenty of ships that have got, and the Saga fleet included, that have the lights on the sides of ships with messages to the NHS and... Yeah. Um, that sort of thing, um, you know, as we all know, there is plenty of change when it comes to lockdowns being lifted. As, yeah, we, yeah. Record, <laughs> as we record this, um, sadly, in Australia, there are some, some developments on the East Coast that, that are looking a little bit worrying. But I think the most important underlying message, as you mentioned, Baz, is that throughout this whole thing, the frontline workers have been there to keep everybody safe, to keep everybody well. And so to see them being acknowledged is great. Yeah, no, it is. It's very, very good. Uh, moving from the UK next over to uh, our friends in Italy, where MSC Cruises are announcing the coin ceremony for their newest ship. Yes. So we've spoken about coin ceremonies before, of course. Yep. So if you're interested in that, please do go and listen to the previous podcasts and you can learn all about it. Um, and this is another one of our friends at Fincantieri <laughs> at their Monfalcone yard in Italy. It's the, um, the seaside um, uh, EVO uh, class, which is this one's going to be called MSC Seascape, mm-hmm. um, which is their newest class of ships, and it's got sort of environmentally friendly um, traits built into it. Um, and this ship itself, just to give you a bit of an idea as to its scale, it's got over two thousand two hundred cabins. There are twelve different types of um, accommodation on board. She has nineteen bars and lounges. There's eleven dining venues, so like so much choice and. Six swimming pools, which is huge mm. <laughs> for, for a ship. It's interesting that the new builds seem to be either going more, much more swimming pools or not many swimming pools and, and, and supplementing it with other things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, different, different design philosophies there. And she'll also have the MSC Yacht Club offering on board as well, Baz. Yeah, one of the, the largest, I believe, as well. So uh, Yeah, like 3,000 square meters or something. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, so lots of good news coming out of MSC. This is uh, one of three new ships that they currently mm. have in construction, I believe, yeah. at, uh, at this moment in time. Now, um, Swan Hellenic, which was for a long time a very iconic uh, British brand, um, as re-emerging. And they've just floated out the Minerva, which will be the first of three ships they're currently building for the new version of this brand. Yes, yeah, so she's been under construction in Helsinki. Um, interesting, you know, to have a, the brand sort of re-establishing itself and committing to not just one but three new builds, mm. um, all kind of under construction consecutively. So there is, of course, um, Minerva, which you mentioned. Um, the second ship, so as she's being floated out of the dry dock, the, the parts of the hull that have already been constructed for the second one, Vega, um, she's being floated in. Yep. For, for that connection work to be done. You know, the way they build ships today is so different to the way they used to do it in days of old. So they, they build sections which are watertight and then float them into the dry dock and then remove the water and then weld them together. And, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite something. Um, and then they've also started cutting the steel, uh, steel production at least, for the third one, which is, yeah. hasn't been named yet. It's kind of got a code name of Vega 3 because it's the yep. Vega class. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, in this situation, um, Baz, the first ship 
is not the class leader name. So it's a Vega class, but um, Minerva is the first name, which is a bit of a change from uh, from 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 tradition as well. So yeah, I think they've gone with that because traditionally they their ships were called Minerva One and Minerva Two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess Minerva class would be too would be too specific because um, <laughs> they they will probably want to have that name reserved for for future ships as well if that's what they're going to go for. Mm. Uh, who knows? Speculation um, abounds, but um, there is. Some interesting features on the on these ships. Um, they have a a diesel electric hybrid propulsion system. Mm. Um, so the, again, again, that sort of brings in some of the um, the more environmentally friendly things with that hybrid um, approach. Um, and she has a PC five ice strengthened hull, um, which of course allows her to do some more of that expedition. She's just just over ten thousand five hundred um, gross tons and is about one hundred and fifteen meters long. So and five stars, of course, um, yeah. for 150 or, or so guests. So yeah, yeah, 150 like a guests ship. and 120 crew. So the service levels are going to oh, be incredible. Oh yes, my goodness, yes. On board when that comes out, of course, with the first one, Minerva will be sailing from October 21. Vega two, which is yet to be named, will be from spring or northern spring of 22, and the third Vega three will come out in the northern autumn of 2022 as well. Now let's go over to Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, which is the parent company for Norwegian Oceania and Region Seven Seas Cruises, yeah. who uh, are striving to uh, go carbon neutral. Yes, I know. We've spoken about some of the other lines that have been doing this well, and it was nice to see this come through from uh, from NCL. So they've actually um, across their their the brands, they've agreed to a um, creation of a, a climate action strategy um, with the aim to have carbon neutrality. Um, and this is going to be done, they say, through a various, their various different ways. Firstly, they have committed to offsetting 3 million metric tons of carbon dioxide over three years, beginning mm. uh, this year. Uh, and that's done to sort of tide things over until some of these other innovations can, can sort can of get in, yeah. Yeah, get in. And that includes, Baz, um, reducing carbon intensity, investing in technologies and exploring alternate fuels and implementing voluntary carbon offset programs. Yeah, no, some great news in there. And we're seeing more and more of this from all of the cruise lines as uh, everybody strives to do the, the right thing to, by everywhere that they visit. Now, uh, we're going to keep with the Regent family, sorry, with the Norwegian family, because Regent Seven Seas also this week announced the name of their newest ship. What are they calling it, Chris? Seven Seas Grandeur. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Their, their next ship, um, she's uh, you know small ship cruising, I suppose, fifty five thousand two hundred tons. Despite the the size, like she's got relatively low passenger capacity as well, so seven hundred fifty mm. passengers. So she will have plenty of space on board. You know, it's that kind of Regent Seven Seas luxury offering, which you would expect. Um, and uh, you know, she'll she is a sort of sister in 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 design to Seven Seas Explorer and Seven Seas Splendor. So she'll have, you know, if you've if you've seen those two or you've been on board, you can expect a, a very similar quality, um, because of course that's what they're that's what they're they're aiming for there. Yeah, Seven Seas Explorer, of course, was referred to the, as the most luxurious ship ever built, and then her sister, which came out, was then the ship that perfects luxury. So we'll we'll see what the tagline is that gets added to Seven Seas Grandeur as and when things uh, start to progress. Seven Seas Grandeur, wow. <laughs> <laughs> now going from luxury down to mainstream for just a second, Carnival Cruise Line has announced that they're going to expand their fleet by two additional ships, but uh, it's a little bit different this time. Yes. Um, so they're going to have an XL class ship, which is going to be um, joining the fleet by 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which had originally been uh, expected to go to Aida. So there's a bit of change going on, obviously, within the Carnival family is just responding, I suppose, to the changing marketplace now. And then Costa is going to be sending one of their ships to Carnival, which will obviously undergo the Carnival refit, which I assume will also include adding the Carnival funnel to the ship mm-hmm. um, because, of course, Costa has the big round blocky funnels yeah, and Carnival yeah. has a winged design. Um, that's Costa Magica. Um, now, interestingly enough, Costa Magica is a Destiny-class ship, which is a Carnival yeah. design. Um, and the Destiny class started with the Carnival Destiny all the way back in 1996 mm. and was a sort of mainstay class within the Carnival brand and then has been used with Costa over the last um, um, few decades. So she'll be going there and by mid-next year, after a dry dock, she will have a new identity and a new Carnival name. Yeah, so of course... People that are familiar with the Carnival group, Joe Farkas used to design all of the Carnival and the Costa ships. Um, he's got a bit of a whimsical kind of out mm. there decor. And Joe stopped actually doing the Carnival ships uh, a couple of years ago now, but he still does do it for Costa and Aida. So it'd be interesting to see whether Carnival completely changed the, the, the Joe Farkas design on the interiors of uh, Costa Magic or whether they keep with it uh, because they have got similar um decor styles on some of yeah. the older ships already yeah i mean ideally as well she'll probably end up getting the new carnival blue hull when she gets a refit mm. so she'll look quite smart and last but not by no means least let's uh, let's finish up with a great good news story from hertie gruden who have uh, announced an expansion into the galapagos yes so it's an area, part of the world that lots of people do show interest in in visiting i think it's quite a um sort of off the beaten track kind of uh, kind of cruise experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's 600 um, miles or so off the coast of Ecuador um, and they'll be going to be offering this sort of uh, unique experience um, on board the 90-passenger Santa Cruz 2 mm. um, and uh, that is going to be departing uh, from January of next year. Yeah, so it's pretty quickly. So they're, they're really ramping things up uh... There in the the Hertigruten because of course Hertigruten has kind of split off the company into two divisions. They've got the the Norwegian coastal fleet, which operates of course on the the fast routes between north and south of the Norwegian coast, and then the uh, the exploration division is now uh, still called Hertigruten, but they they're obviously expanding and going into areas where they previously didn't do so. And it's great to see that uh, somewhere like the Galapagos is is going to benefit from the people at Hertigruten. Yes, for sure. Now, Chris, before we go, let's find out what's happening in your videos of this week. I know you've already posted one um, so far this week. Anything, uh, what's, what's it all about? So, yeah, as I was, as I was mentioning before, this, this one is sort of like a, a look at one of the big questions I'm getting is like, how is it different? What's cruising like now? Obviously, I haven't been on a cruise since COVID mm-hmm. um, uh, happened. Uh, my last one was just at the very beginning of this whole thing when, when the cruise pause was starting. So um, I spoke with Emma um, from Emma Cruises, who's obviously been on the podcast a few times, because um, she had just come back from a cruise on um, MSC's Virtuosa, and she sort of talks with me through what the new sort of restrictions are like with embarkation, what it's like on board the ship, mask wearing, going to shows, dining, are they saving seats? You know, are they are they, yeah. are they making you social distance, and how safe she felt in the in the cabins and all that same thing on board the ship, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that. Um, and how she how she felt about that voyage. So it's a, it's a good uh, good little insight there, and um, it's on my channel now at um, youtube.com/slash/chrisframeofficial. 
Brilliant. Yes, of course, we had Emma discussing that on the podcast last week, but great to see the images that, of course, Emma will have supplied to you as yes. well. Yes, uh, some, some fantastic photographs there. there. Yeah, lovely pictures of the of the Virtuoso, which, of course, is a, is a new ship too. Yeah, no, one of the newest, or the newest uh, MSC ship to be operating on, uh, in the UK for the first time, which is always great news when a new ship ventures into a new market. Um, Chris, always a pleasure, mate. It's um, it's that time where we uh, wrap up for today's show, but I'm sure this time next week we'll come around very, very quickly and we'll have a heap of new cruise news, probably some list of questions and also a bit of maritime history in there as well. Sounds great. See you then. Hello, it's me again. Just a quick reminder. Um, if you want to help keep this podcast on air, there's a little way that you can do it. If you're familiar with Patreon, which other podcasters and YouTubers use, that's a way of uh, sending a little donation uh, through to them. We use something similar, but we use a system called Buy Me A Coffee. Um, just like uh, buying your friends uh, a coffee in the coffee shop. Very, very similar, although you're not physically buying me a coffee, you're making a small donation. And every donation is greatly appreciated because it really does help to, uh, to keep us on air. And the benefit is, once you have made that donation, um, you are then receive priority access to the podcast because if all of our supporters do receive the uh, the link to the podcast the moment that it is made live and uh, it can take about 12 to 24 hours for itunes and the other podcast directories to to pick it up so if you would like uh, that priority access then the easiest way to do so is to support us by buying me a coffee you can buy one coffee you can buy two coffees you can buy 10 coffees or you can buy a whole year supply it's entirely up to you but every single uh, little donation through buy me a coffee is greatly appreciated the links of how to do so you'll find in the show notes of each and every episode thanks in advance that's all for today if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe and leave us a review on apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts until next time bon voyage Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.